Welcome to this Stroke Journey podcast, brought to you by the National Stroke Education Center at the University of Cincinnati, your premier source for comprehensive diagnostic and therapeutic stroke education from the pre-hospital and emergency settings through the ICU and rehabilitation. Please welcome today's host, Dr. Jordan Bonomo. I'm Dr. Jordan Bonomo. I'm one of the emergency medicine, neurointensivists, and stroke physicians here at the University of Cincinnati, and I'm here with Dr. Chris Richards, one of our emergency medicine and EMS trained physicians with a particular expertise in stroke and pre-hospital medicine. And we're going to ask him a few questions today about mobile stroke units. Dr. Richards, welcome. Thank you for having me. Do me a favor. Give me just a few minutes uh, or a few sentences on your background. Who are you? What do you do? Sure. So I am an emergency physician uh, here at University of Cincinnati. I'm also EMS subspecialty trained as well. I am the medical director of the UC Health Mobile Stroke Unit. Mobile Stroke Units. Where'd they start? Rumor has it they started somewhere in Europe, maybe Germany, and then they came over here in uh, the late 2000s. But really, where'd they start? Let me even take it a step further back than that. Probably in concept, it started even with the beginning of EMS, which is kind of the concept of bringing hospital-level care outside the hospital to the curbside when minutes matter. And if you think about that as kind of the guiding principle, that's really what's informed mobile stroke units in general. So the first, at least in this current era of mobile stroke unit, in 2003, there was a thought piece by Dr. Fessbender that kind of brought forth kind of the concept of, well, maybe we should actually think about equipping ambulances with CT scanners. There's even a little drawing about what a diagram of this might look like. In 2011, fast forward, folks in Berlin um, actually put this concept into a pilot study and actually deployed this STEMO unit, studied it in the Phantom S study to see what would happen if we actually put a CT scanner in an ambulance, equipped it with TPA. I was doing stroke care then, and I remember reading about this and seeing the first press releases. And I was not alone in my howling when we were just skeptical that we could make this work well. We were imagining CT scanners in the back of ambulances that are radiating neighborhoods and and just the challenges of, of really identifying stroke patients in real time and then providing care. And it seems like all of our naysaying was really proven wrong. I'm an early adopter for most therapies. This one seems a bit of a heavier lift, but it seems to be working. Is that your impression? Are these working? So mobile treatments have a real true promise. What I can tell you what we know right now is that treatment in mobile stroke units is significantly faster on the order of at least a half hour, if not up to 45 minutes, and kind of, and then if you even look at kind of door to uh, groin time for endovascular candidates. We are having some early signals that overall patient outcomes are better as well. So the best MSU study and the Be Proud study are specifically designed to answer the question about mortality, about functional outcomes. A very recent review out of the Cleveland Clinic did a both a systematic review as well as a meta-analysis asking some of those questions. And at least in terms of short-term neurological outcome, there is a, about a one-and-a-half-fold improvement, at least in terms of modified Rankin 0 to 2. Now, we're not seeing mortality outcome at this point, but we're still not at the point where we have a fully powered, large enough, exact same protocol. That's what we're looking to be proud and uh, best MSU to answer. Well, and the majority of our stroke trialing in the past has looked at functional outcome as opposed to mortality as the relevant endpoint. So I, I don't think uh, you're tracking too far offline on that. And you know what? With the time savings that we're seeing, functional outcomes being improved would certainly be extrapolated from the time savings that we're seeing. And it would make sense that you know minutes matter and time is brain now. We're starting to see protocols that extend fibrinolytic therapy out 
close to 24 hours with the appropriate imaging. So time really does matter, and both on the early side and, and even the late side. I'm suspecting you're identifying some of these strokes that are, are outside window also. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And, and not only thinking about kind of extending out the time window, but what we're really seeing actually is that we're catching strokes within that first 60 minutes as well. And so across the board, we are treating patients not only more quickly across the board, but within that first 60 minutes where that penumbra is truly salvageable at that point. Now, the flip side of that, too, is exactly what you said. So if we're able to identify stroke, have our mobile stroke unit there, realize that, boy, we're within a time window where they may meet Dawn and Diffuse 3 criteria, then we can have that patient be brought immediately to a thrombectomy capable stroke center, a comprehensive stroke center where they may be able to get the further perfusion imaging, potentially even endovascular therapy. Do you ever see perfusion imaging in the back of a bus? So we do not have the capability here. Few actually do have that capability. But I'll tell you, some of the limitations with all these advanced images and getting so many pictures and so many slices is that once you have them on your machine there in the mobile stroke unit, you got to beam it to the hospital. And so some of these studies, the amount of data takes so long to actually transmit to the receiving sure. hospital, the bus is going to beat the pictures. And so sometimes there is a little bit of a trade-off there in terms of what you can actually acquire versus what is actually actionable. We need more than 5G is what I'm hearing. <laughs> you are the director of a mobile stroke unit. And in fact, you, you're the first director of a mobile stroke unit here in Cincinnati. You are our director. Herculean task, I'm assuming, to get this up and off the ground. Tell us about that lift. What were your biggest challenges in getting a mobile stroke unit up and running effectively? Boy, I mean, it really does take a village. I appreciate your saying that. Dr. Jason McMullen was involved very early on, um, and we've actually had a bit of a transition here. He's still very much involved. That's just from the physician standpoint. We have folks at the UCGNI, our Neurological Institute, who have really put so much time and effort into this. Our stroke team program leadership, our folks over at AirCare Mobile Care, that is our kind of our EMS um, branch of UC Health, where all of our paramedics and nurses are truly through. Angie Black is the director of uh, the Neuroscience Institute. Ruta Jenkins is our program manager. A lot of folks involved. Now, not only here at UC Health do we have a lot of coordination between stroke team members and our EMS partners, but that's just here at UC Health. What's critically important is is our EMS partners, our dispatch partners, we see ourselves as being invited into the scene. We conceptualize each and every one of our calls that we go on as being invited into that our local EMS partners still control that scene. And when everyone's comfortable with that patient coming into the back, absolutely will help out. And so coordination with our local EMS partners or dispatch partners, our receiving hospitals is critically important to this whole effort. So if there were a young emergency medicine trained, EMS trained person who's looking at a job and part of that job description is director of a new mobile stroke unit or a stroke neurologist and they don't really know what they're getting themselves into, you now know what you got yourself into. What advice would you have for them? What were the biggest challenges to actually making it work? Absolutely. So the advice I would give is know every link in that chain of survival, that stroke chain of survival, right? So it involves outreach to the community partners. So something that we actually had to um, be very mindful of is that folks in our community, they're used to their local EMS showing up. They know their EMS very well. Currently, we're dispatched into small suburban communities. We kind of had to do some messaging to say, it's okay if our mobile circuit is going to be there for as long as a half hour, 40, 45 minutes on scene. We're bringing the hospital to you. 
critically important to develop relationship with EMS partners, EMS captains, fire chiefs, because that coordination is critical. Very important to know, obviously, the stroke neurologists will be uh, participating. This is a new environment for them as well. Oftentimes, it ends up being an emergency department, and that scene may be chaotic, but this is the back of an ambulance, maybe even inside if the capability is there. And so engaging them, addressing concerns is critically important here as well. So from an operations standpoint, the challenges are are obvious, and it seems like most of them are actually surmountable. From a, a clinical standpoint, in your experience, what's been the biggest challenge actually taking care of an acute patient in the back of the bus? And notice how I didn't say necessarily acute stroke patient, because you are picking up some complex migraine and other mimics. So what's your biggest challenge in the back of the bus taking care of these patients? So you're exactly right. This is not just a, we show up and someone's going to get TPA, we're going to go ahead and give it. It really is a complex evaluation, both by our paramedics and by the stroke team consultants. We have had cases of TPA treats. We've had intracranial hemorrhage. We've had complex focal seizures. We have had intracranial masses all diagnosed in the back of our mobile stroke unit that has been active now for a month and a half. So some of the challenges there end up being with that assessment. Both of our paramedics um, and nurses doing a basic assessment and being able to relay that to our stroke uh, consultants. Part of that is our stroke consultants having the connectivity and the fidelity of audio and visual to do a true telestroke assessment of the patient in the back. Some of that ends up being acquiring the CT images themselves. In some of these more mobile CT scanners, the actual aperture of the hole that the head goes into is smaller than what you'll see in the emergency department. And so addressing concerns like claustrophobia of patients is, is even a challenge. And then of above and beyond that, transmitting those images from the scene so our stroke neurologists, our neuroradiology specialists can review those images every step along the way presents its own challenges. But you know what? Those are opportunities. <laughs> right. Every challenge is an opportunity. That's why they continue to teach us. I, that's what I hear. Yeah. I think you glossed over a point, which is a really important one, and I think you're just humble. When you identify somebody with an intracranial hemorrhage or acute status epilepticus in the back of that rig, you can bring care to them in a very sophisticated way very quickly. I mean, the management of a hypertensive ICH at time point zero when you know it's an ICH, that's never been done before. So you're talking about 30 and 45-minute faster administration times for TPA, but you're talking about 30, 45, an hour, even more faster intervention for patients with intracranial hemorrhages. Now, we've had a really hard time moving the needle on outcomes in that in the past, even with what we considered ultra-early trials, because we were never able to reach out into the field. But it stands to reason that most patients with an ICH would have neurologic symptoms consistent with a stroke in the field. So perhaps that's another area that the mobile stroke unit would be pretty effective in. I'm actually really excited about that. Oh, and we're looking for that too as well. We are starting to actually lay the foundations of actually being in and as an enrollment site for the fastest trial coming up to actually answer some of these questions. But you're exactly right. If we see a hypertensive bleed, hemorrhagic bleed, especially if they're on anticoagulation, we can reverse that medication. We can control blood pressure. We can give hypertonic saline mannitol to temporize some of the edema going on. You know, actually a a question that we asked ourselves actually quite a bit is what medications should we carry um, for hypertensive bleeding? And uh, you know, we have a lot of different options now at this point in the uh, emergency department to reverse, especially bleeding on anticoagulation. We thought about that quite a bit. We have first-line therapies. We actually carry liquid plasma. 
We also carry four-factor complex as well. Um, what we don't do are some of the more specific antibody-related reversal agents with the thought process in our system of if we can identify it and they're on that agent, we can have them in a comprehensive stroke center in 10 to 15 minutes. With some pre-notification that they're on and then they're going to need it so they can probably crack the vials before you even get there. That's exactly right. I'm impressed. And as somebody who now takes call for your mobile stroke unit, I technically work for you. I appreciate the opportunity which you've provided. It is really interesting. Um, it presents its, cha- its unique challenges, but I think I'm I'm a believer now in mobile stroke units. Where I, it certainly wasn't when I first heard about them. Dr. Richards, thank you for your time today. I uh, really appreciate you being with us. Thank you again for having me. Thanks for listening today. This Stroke Journey podcast is a collaboration between the National Stroke Education Center, M. Craig International, and MedEd on the go. For more comprehensive, high-quality educational resources for healthcare professionals, please visit strokejourney.com.